Hey everybody, how you doing? Welcome to the show this week. Hope things are going well. Maestro and I had to do a, a little bit of a little bit of a diversion this past week after we learned some very dear friends were uh, struggling with COVID, and uh, one of them is really struggling with COVID. So we made a uh, cross-country diversion, and we're down here in the south again, helping them out while she fights for her, literally fights for her life. Anyway, hey, that's not what we're talking about today. We're gonna move on to, hey, lawn substitutes. You know, in this day and age, it is coming in waves of not only popularity, but also in some cases, actual lawful mandates. Parts of the, the Western US, the Southwest, and other places, you know, around the globe are struggling with droughts and even mega droughts. With this hardship, governing municipalities yet again are clamping down on water usage, especially, most importantly, the landscape usage. With that being said, this week we are covering some alternatives to natural thirsty turf lawn. Plant material and other material that require far less water, a little effort and investment up front like most landscaping projects, but a lot less in the long run. Excited to share this with you this week. Glad you're here. Let's roll that brief intro. Hey, I'm Matt and you can call me coach. This podcast is all about DIY landscape education concepts and ideas so you guys can tackle projects yourself. Be a heck of a lot more self-reliant and save yourself a boatload of money in the process. You know, after 20 plus years in the green industry, I bring with me a lot of knowledge and experience that I wanna share with you, the modern, educated, self-reliant homeowner of today. Once again, welcome. Hope things are just chugging along very well for you. You know, I'm gonna say this right at the top of the show. I'm gonna say this right up front. In my experience and where I hailed from in Northern California, many times, many times the biggest violators of landscape water usage, watering in off hours, off days, huge inefficiencies in watering styles are those municipalities laying down the rules and then breaking them. They were either very unaware or inattentive to their own poor habits, their own infrastructure in accordance to water restriction rules. You know, to that I say shame on you to those hypocritical lawmakers that want to govern us and yet they're the biggest violators. Watering in the middle of the day, you know, watering on off days, watering in such a fashion that they're watering pavement instead of landscape. I've, I've seen it all. Uh, the town that I lived in and had their own water police whose only job was to find, then warn, then for repeat offenders, site violators for illegal water usage. I often wondered how that worked when they caught themselves, when they caught themselves with broken sprinklers that were flooding roadways, watering at you know two in the afternoon on an off day, having faulty timers that activated these places four and five times a day on watering days that restricted it, period. Yeah, I know. Anyway, Big Brother isn't always the best example, huh? Those of us in this area, you know, we really became, especially me as a professional, became very accustomed to working with and not against the law of the times when these droughts have come and gone. Many of my landscape jobs, thank God, back in the recession days, the last big recession, 
was removing lots of high maintenance landscape turf and reinstalling lawn substitutes or more appropriately, a whole lawnless landscapes in general. You know, if it was not for that Western US drought that was simultaneously going with the recession, I probably would have gone out of business. Yeah, most likely probably would have gone out of business, period. Because that's what really kept me afloat was landscape conversions. So let's look at some alternatives to natural turf lawn. I am a fan of lawns, I really am, but to an extent and based on locale. Having traveled extensively now throughout the Midwest and Eastern areas of my United States, I have had to collect my jaw off of the ground on many occasions when I see absolutely huge, huge multi-acre lawns in larger landscapes and rural properties that are being maintained on a weekly or bi-monthly basis. Oh my God, we were visiting some folks recently when we were down here helping out our friends and they're on three acres. And of that, I would say two acres are turf and they were out there the other day for four hours, four plus hours, two people, four plus hours, mowing and maintaining and string trimming and all that kind of stuff. Lots and lots and lots of time. You know, some of these places have irrigation, but we haven't seen a lot of sprinklers. We've seen some, but not a lot, as Mother Nature usually provides enough rainfall back in the east during the growing season to uh, satisfy most turf lawns. But in many parts of the western U.S., and I'm sure this is applicable to other parts of the world too, lawns are becoming they're, they're, let's just say it, they're on the chopping block as far as a standard landscape staple. When I was still practicing, there was that hometown I just mentioned that their building codes now, you don't get a lawn in the front of your new home. You get a lawnless landscape, which basically is a, basically a landscape designer shit show where they just throw a bunch of plants in the front yard, fill it up, and then put a drip system in and around it and throw bark down and call it good. And many of the designers in town, myself included, would look at that and just go, oh my God, can you imagine what that's going to look like in five years? Yep, it, it did. It was horrible. Anyway, rapidly becoming an absent element in many new building and housing that's being built, especially out west, by building code and city mandate. Yeah, there's that M word, the new M word, mandate. I hate that word these days. It just has wrong connotations now. If you're considering saving some water, if you're considering lowering your maintenance times and changing from a natural turf to an alternative, here are some suggestions, some selections, and some step-by-step -step preparation to have a successful conversion for you guys. I'm going to address the conversion kinda as you probably have heard in the past, in an average, involving an average sized residential yard with a smaller, let's say, under a thousand square feet of turf lawn. I will also make an assumption, although this will not apply to some, an installed and functioning irrigation system to water the soon to be absent lawn area. In other words, you already have a sprinkler system in and how we're gonna address that during the conversion. Well, first of all, conversion starts with killing off that sod lawn or that, that turf lawn that you have. And I really suggest that you spray it. Spray it and kill it dead, especially if you have things like Bermuda and stuff like that that's involved. Those guys there, you can stick a pick and shovel in there and 
chop it all out. You can get a sod cutter and cut it all out, but if you have a rhizomic type of lawn that you're removing, that stuff's going to pop back, and it's going to pop back in a big way and not that far down the road. So I really suggest that you spray it and kill it. And the way I used to do it as a professional, I would always go in and I would do an initial spray, then I would do a follow-up spray less than 72 hours afterwards, depending on the time of year. If it was the cooler time of year, it would get three springs. If it was the warmer time of the year, two springs. So just a matter of the, the herbicide herbicide needs a certain temperature and it can't be above can't be above 92 degrees and it can't be below 63 degrees or it tends to not work as well the other thing is go into that existing lawn and flag all your sprinkler heads and keep those flags there and placed throughout the project including when you when you're taking out the the sod lawn if you come up on a sprinkler head give it a little bit of a berth there and then come back and just gently pick out around that and i'll tell you more about the irrigation conversion later in the show you know this is usually used from what we call a, a non-selective herbicide, that spray that you're going to put on there. You know, everybody knows the word Roundup, right? Glyphosate, okay, that's, that's the chemical, and you can get that in numerous different brands nowadays, and it all does the same. Just make sure you take a little PPE precautions, you know, glove up, a little bit of eye protection. Make sure you're doing it on a very calm day. Then removal, once dead, removal is pretty simple. You have one of two choices and you're going to know which choice I'm going to suggest to you. But you can get some fellas over there with picks and shovels, and you can just start going at it. Or you can spend a couple of dollars, go down and get the sod cutter. Strong suggestion, go power. Go the power route, smarter, not harder. And cut it all out, roll it up, and then haul it off. You're going to have to haul it off no matter how you do it. Then get it down to a nice, blank, clean, raked-off, canvas. You will literally have nothing left there except flags and some maybe some exposed sprinkler heads. If you're in a place that's uh, under drought conditions right now, this would be a good time to cap off all of your existing sprinkler heads, especially if your lawn is big enough where you have more than one zone. If you have more than one zone, then your flag should reflect color-wise which zone is which. So you flag one zone in a blue flag, flag the other zone in an orange flag. Then cap them all off except one in each zone, and then convert it using a little NDS box where you can put a pressure regulator on it. You can convert it from the, the standard stub-up. You can elbow it out and then you can put on your PVC adapters and then run your, your lines from there. You know, either a supply line with spaghetti tubing to each plant, or you can use uh, another product called Netafim, which we'll talk about. Once the turf is out and hauled away, you should have that clean slate. You're ready to go now. A couple of things to remember in your planting scheme. Number one, and I've mentioned it before, is spacing. Depending on what you've decided to replace your turf with, spacing will be of an issue. If you're using juniper or manzanita or uh, ground cover plugs or whatever. If you're using something like uh, mondo grass, which we'll talk about, it's going to be a lot closer. If you're using something like blue rug juniper, it's going to be a little further away. And you should really uh, pay attention and follow the advice of your nursery professional when you're, when you're buying the plants. You know, just say, hey, we're converting this to a lawnless area here, so how, how far apart do I need to space these? Also, soil preparation. Soil preparation and mending each and every one of those holes that you're going to be digging. 50-50 mix, a little starter fertilizer, and give it a good, good 
hole of which to get started. And then you have to make a decision about mulch cover. Some people like landscape fabric, other people do not like landscape fabric, and it will also be dependent on what plants you're using. If you're using a, a ground cover ground cover that comes in flats and plugs, chances are you can mulch around it, but you will not be having a fabric because those things need to creep and crawl and fill in. If you're using shrubbery like juniper or manzanita or dwarf hollies or any of those things, yeah, then you can have a, a good quality fabric, not that cheap crap. Don't use that cheap crap. It's absolutely a waste of money. But uh, a really quality, good Vigoro type of fabric where you can go to the specialty shops and get the stuff that I used to use. It doesn't have a brand name, but you know, they'll know what you're talking about. Planting will usually involve laying out the plant material first or Get yourself a can of marking paint, paint cans that are inverted, and you can moisten the area down, have a either a measuring tape or, you know, just a six foot or four foot or whatever you want piece of wood and use that as your spacer. And then you just mark either, either way. It all comes, it all ends up in the same place at the end, but you really need to have the spacing done correctly. Once you got that all laid out, you can start that planting process. In this application, more does not always necessarily mean better. The spacing will tell you how much plant material you're going to need and stick with that. If you need 20 juniper, don't get 30. If you need five flats of Mondo grass, don't get 10. Unless you're selling the house and you're gonna be putting it on the market and you want it as full and new and nice as possible, I think it's just all a waste of money. It really is. You know, the, the low spreaders, the, the low spreaders that are gonna be used in this, you want them spaced out so they can be themselves and not jam together in 18 months and then they start to attain unnatural heights because they don't have anywhere to go but up. They've run into their neighbor so soon that the soon as they do that, it forces them to grow tall and this is a lawn it's not four foot shrubbery so you want everything to be eight or 12 inches or less at the highest of high I would prefer you have six inches or less but whatever you know this applies to almost all lawn substitutes now landscape fabric can be placed we talked about that you can put it down first and work on top of it by cutting X slits in it and then digging the holes right there and putting the dirt in a in a bucket or in the wheelbarrow temporarily prepare your hole plant and then put the, the X slit batter around it. Or you can plant the whole damn thing and then roll the fabric over the top and cut around the plant. It's six of one, half a dozen of the other. I've done both ways many, many times. But like again, with the fabric, that's gonna generally apply to things like the juniper and manzanita and not the root and run type of ground covers like gazania and isotoma and thyme, that kind of stuff. Anyway, let's talk about some selections. First, let's talk about differences. The difference between a lawnless landscape versus a lawn substitute. Uh, there is a difference. You know, lawnless landscapes done correctly, they're really kind of a artistically blended palette of shrubs and perennials, maybe small trees, maybe boulders with ground covers, and hardscape that all kind of work symbiotically together to create a functional and aesthetically pleasing look. I love lawnless landscapes. I think they're fantastic looking and they oftentimes have so much more personality and visual appeal than just a flat green lawn. Really do. Lawn substitutes apply to just the former turf area itself and the remaining landscape, if in good shape, it stays the same. It, it remains as it is. So here are some uh, strict lawn substitutes 
that you could apply and look into depending on where you live in your climate either here in the u.s or anywhere in the world these are some that i've actually planted as far as lawn substitutes and some i have not so write them down or listen to the podcast again or however you want to remember them but they're not in any particular order they're just ones that i have seen ones that i have used and you know some of the research that i did so i'm going to go through them fairly quickly but I'm not going to really stay on one particular one, but let's look. How about creeping thyme? Creeping thyme is a, is a popular lawn substitute. Another one is blue star creeper, also known as isotoma. You can also use sedums, mosses of various kinds. Like if you have a smaller scale, you can use a combination of Irish and Scotch moss together. Oh my God, those are, those are quite quite nice when they start blending together. Corsican mint, another one that can take a little bit of sun and shade. The blue rug, or also known as the blue carpet juniper. Buffalo juniper, Bar Harbor juniper. Those are the, the junipers that are super, super low. I mentioned Mondo grass earlier in the show, Ophiopagan, and you can get it either in a dwarf variety or in the standard variety. Those are the ones you're probably going to plant a little closer together. And if you're using the dwarf one, that's going to be for a smaller scale square footage lawn replacement because it doesn't creep and crawl quite as fast as its bigger brother. Another one is chamomile, creeping chamomile, creeping manzanita, gazania, the, the trailing gazanias, and you can use the clumping gazanias. You just have to put them a little closer together. A big one that's going on right now, and yet I don't speak from experience on this one, but many people rave about clover. And clover is a uh, kind of a drought tolerant lawn substitute. It does put out its little flower. There's a red one and a, and a white one. Big bee attractor, really is. We've all heard of clover honey. Ornamental strawberry is a creep and run and root type of uh, ground cover that really looks kind of neat when it's all filled in. And another one that was very, very popular when I was in the nursery industry years ago, and that was a uh, spring syncofoil, and that's potentilla. Another one you'll see if you like gray, if you like gray with white blooms, is a uh, cerastium, also known as snow and summer. And one that is good for full sun, very drought tolerant, takes a little bit to get going, but once it fills in, it's a really a unique and colorful ground cover, and that's Dimondia, D-Y-M-O-N-D-I-A, Dimondia. And then the old standby, which it's kinda at the bottom of my list, even though it does work, it works in better in other applications, but baby tear, you can look at that too. Hey, that's just to name a few, all right? You know, one thing you gotta consider is your initial investment will surround a combination of the planting material, weeding, your time and weeding, maybe even sometimes spraying uh, to keep the weeds at bay, and then getting this new lawn substitute area off to a good start. Uh, a quality organic mulch that put in and around the new plantings uh, to slow down any weed reemergence. A little time pulling here and there of weeds might even be a more organic way, way to do things, a more organic approach. And the game time decision about irrigation. Irrigation is in order for a project like this, especially if you don't have summer rains per se. So let's talk about that irrigation thing. You know, drought areas, you should convert that old lawn sprinkler system 
to a drip system, which is pretty easy to do. It, you know, it's a little, you know, it's hands and knees work, a little capping off of existing sprinkler heads. And then, like I said earlier, leaving a couple so that you can actually convert it. Pressure reducing valves, PVC conversion. You can put it into a, one of the NDS drain boxes, works really well. You can also use something like Netafim tubing, which you can take and just weave throughout the whole project and it will drip irrigate through slit emitters right in the tubing and that will eliminate for the, the spaghetti quarter inch drip tubing in the emitters as well. Okay, then finally you can look at hardscape alternatives and additives. Things like uh, gravel, gravel over fabric with a, a few few ground cover type of shrubbery in there, the, the manzanita or a juniper and then boom there you there you go now you have virtually no maintenance and then you can if you really want to gooch it up you can put in some big boulders in a couple of arrangements give it a little bit of structural vertical oomph and there yeah now you've gone from watering three and four times a week maybe twice a day if you're in a real hot area and now your water savings is going to be amazing. Other hardscape suggestions. How about uh, expanding on the existing patios or creating a front yard sitting area? Very popular in some of the new neighborhoods now, especially the older retirement type of neighborhoods that has come back in a big way. Patios out front where people can wave at their neighbors out walking or doing their golf carty thing. You know, and then spruce up that area maybe with some uh, container plants and that kind of stuff. Make sure you have a way to get some water to them. And then another thing is if you're doing a backyard, maybe create yourself a, a deck with a hot tub and that type of thing where you don't have, you don't have that lawn to mow anymore. Create additional outdoor living space. You know, done this way, these projects can save, literally, depending on what your initial landscape layout is, you can save up to 90% of your exterior water costs by eliminating that turf lawn. And that's on people who are on municipal water bills. On drip irrigation, systems kind of save about 75 to 80%. And if you're in places where you don't need municipal water except once in a while, because mother nature does it, well, that speaks for itself, but that's not very applicable out in some of the arid west areas. You know, with water being such a valuable and yet elusive commodity nowadays, my gosh. You know, I can remember before we moved out of California, we had such a long-term five-year drought. And then in one year, 16 and 17, the winters turned around and boom, all reservoirs were full. There were flooding, there was this. The governor at the time declared the drought over. Yay, everybody, and they went right back to lawn. And here they are, less than four years later, now you can't water that new lawn again. So, something to think about. Some folks will never relinquish the beauty of a well-manicured natural turf lawn. It is a natural, cooling effect that a lawn can do for you. It's great at cleaning the air around you, but let's admit it, they are water hogs. They need to have at least an inch a week of water. Hey, what do you think? Maybe a lawn substitute might be for you in the future, especially if you want to reduce your long-term landscape maintenance costs and time. So 
something to consider. Hey, if you have any more questions about this particular podcast and this topic, feel free to email. It's always, always in the bottom of the show. And check it out over on YouTube this week because I'll be covering the same topic, but with obviously a lot more visual effect. Don't forget to check out the website, guys. I'd really appreciate some of your support by taking a look at that very inexpensive ebook and the drastically reduced cost of the digital course. Teach you everything you need to know on how to landscape it yourself. Hey, I'm Matt. You can call me coach. I really appreciate your time. If you're still with me, don't forget to download this each and every week. Take care, and as always, to your landscape success. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Yard Coach Podcast. Don't forget to head over to the website at youryardcoach.com where you will find more DIY landscape education, including the free 15-step DIY landscape checklist, Coach Matt's ebook called Landscaping Simplified, and the flagship digital course, Homescape 1.0. As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can email Coach Matt directly at youryardcoach at gmail.com. We'll see you right here next week.